Let us now pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing in the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that brings light and life to us. By your mercy, please grant us understanding of, your, of you and our own hearts. Now as we hear the word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us give attention to God's word as we hear the gospel reading once again and meditate upon it. And it is, starts with John chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. And it says this, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And picking up in verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, the, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. You know, Advent is a puzzling time for many, because they live underneath the confusion <clears throat> that Jesus only came as a sweet baby in the manger. But Jesus' coming in the flesh was and is <clears throat> to give us light and life. But this life only comes through Jesus' bloody substitutionary atonement. This doesn't make sense to very many. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says, this is Paul speaking, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Men in their own wisdom cannot see how Christ's death redeems them and delivers them. Because as one commentator put it, tyrants exercise power by bloodletting, Jesus exercised his power by bleeding. Jesus dies and defeats his enemies. Advent interrupts our own soft and sentimental thoughts of Christmas. Advent teaches us to see Jesus as the center of history. History begins with Jesus. He created all things. When Jesus came in the flesh, 
he changed the course of history. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension provided his people deliverance from all bondage of sin. At the last day of history, all men, living and dead, <clears throat> will stand before the judgment of God. Jesus does all this to bring glory to the Father. <clears throat> Jesus brings the merciful plan of our triune God that he's had since the very beginning to fruition. Psalm 25, verse 6 says, Remember, O Yahweh, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. You know, before our passage in the gospel reading began today, it starts right there at the beginning of John 1, which simply says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God and was with God in the beginning of all things. That is before anything was made. Jesus is not an impersonal little God who exists disconnected from creation. But as the word says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This passage states clearly that he made all things, no exception. We also see that it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. God speaks into darkness at creation, and he creates. This is also true in the new creation of our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The life and light of Christ can only be comprehended by the intervention of God upon us. God alone grants us a new heart and mind. And that's what we need. We come to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Jesus creates the world. Jesus intervenes in history by coming in the flesh. Jesus glorifies the world before he hands it back to his Father at the end of time. In the prophecy of Isaiah 40, it predicts the comfort brought by the one calling in the wilderness. He will say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God! Then we also see that the prophecy says, later on in verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Now this is important. We must come to grips that Jesus created the world. We must come to grips that everything moves according to the providence of God. And not one thing in creation, not one person in creation, is missing. His plan is unfolding according to his providence. Jesus is God and he created and governs the world, including you and I. 
Jesus is the turning point of history. Many argue what the influential or most influential points are in history. If you uh, Google the most important events in history, you get all kinds of answers. And you find all kinds of events and all kinds of persons listed. And the list that I looked at, not one considered Christ's coming as an important event in the history of the world. There were many associations with great sufferings and tragedies. But you see, the problem is that man is in darkness and cannot identify what his real crisis is. We want to find reasons for the way that we are. We want to look back in history and assign who is responsible for our sinful condition. We want to find excuses for behaving in a sinful way to live in rebellion to God. But we know that Jesus came at the right moment. It was the appointed time for deliverance. And it changed all of history. Galatians 4.4 tells us this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons. Through the Son, the Father reveals Himself. We see the face of God in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this clear in John 14 in his conversation with Philip, where he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. <clears throat> Before Christ came, born in the flesh, men were born in bondage to sin. All sin, all fall short. And man was helpless to be delivered by his own works. But because Jesus came, we are redeemed in Christ Jesus, whom God sent as a propitiation by his blood. Romans chapter 3 tells us this. We see that Jesus, by his holy life and death, stepped in for us to pay our debt before God. No other event is more central to all men in history than the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But many in Israel did not receive Jesus. Many were hostile. In Luke 4, Jesus reads from the scroll in Isaiah. It's the same passage that we read today from Isaiah 61. It says this in Luke 4, So he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up and read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What joy 
Jesus has come. The anointed one has come. The one who's going to set everything right. But the people in that synagogue that day, they weren't filled with joy. They didn't rejoice that Jesus, the deliverer, had come. But those in the synagogue instead, it says, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and threw Jesus out of the city. They even tried to drive him up on a hill and kill him. But they were not able to. Jesus proclaimed that it was the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, he pauses right in the middle of the reading in Isaiah 61. And verse 2, excuse me, continues and says this after mentioning the acceptable year of the Lord. It says this, And the day of vengeance of our God to the comfort all that mourn. Vengeance is not God getting even, but rather, when God comes in vengeance, He comes to set all things right. He brings a day of wrath to bring a year of freedom. Jesus came in real time and in real history to save us and to bring about new heavens and new earth by restructuring it, causing God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isaiah 61, Jesus is the servant, and he is the one speaking, where he says in verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown into it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. In this, Jesus glorifies history. Jesus, and therefore his church, will not fail in discipling the nations. Jesus will not fail. Isaiah 40 tells us, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. If the word speaks it, it is true. It will happen. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that there is a resurrection. And verse 24 says, Then comes the end, when he, that's Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Jesus will not simply judge on the last day, but Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. Jesus will take the glorified world, and as it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Jesus is truly light and life. And he called John the forerunner to bear witness that all through him might believe. Just as John is not the light but the witness of the light, we are called to bear witness to the light. We are the light of the world. The scriptures tell us in Matthew 5, But our light should shine before men that they may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. We must live like John the forerunner and have all the glory given to God. We are to point to Christ Jesus. We are nothing outside Jesus and His incarnate birth, His incarnate rule, 
And we should live pointing towards his incarnate return. We must live our lives pointing to Christ. John the witness points to Jesus and away from himself. John in our passage today downplays himself even though he knew who he was called to be. When the priests and Levites ask him if he was the Christ, the word says, listen, he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Anytime you see that doubling up, pay attention. It's a strong, me- it's, 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 it's a strong message telling us. John is, is confessing. It's not me. I'm not him. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to them, who are you that we may give an answer to him who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Now, it's interesting because they feel like he's dodging. Right? You're not giving us the answer. Right? So, I'll tell you what, we're going to add extra authority. We were sent out from the temple by the high priests. We've been sent out to go find out what all this noise is out here. What are you saying? What are you doing? And he says this, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And he says, you know, this is right out of what the prophet Isaiah said. John knew who he was and what his calling was. He was to prepare the way by preaching repentance. He did not let those who were asking cause him to become self-aggrandizing. John knew that the prophecy in Isaiah was about him, and he wanted no glory. Instead, Jesus pointed to the coming anointed one, the Messiah, the Deliverer. They approached John and asked him then, why is he baptizing for repentance? And notice what he does here. He doesn't really answer the question because the the answer is obvious. If they've showed up and he's out there in the wilderness and he's standing there and he's preaching repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? They know why he's baptizing. They're like, well, if if, if you're not the one, why are you doing this? And John diverts the question. And he says this in verse 26, John answered him saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know, and he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John is the anointed witness. Jesus declares that John is the last and greatest prophet in Matthew 11. And John stayed on course and kept pointing away from himself And instead, pointing to Jesus, whom John was not, he said, not even worthy to loose the sandal from Jesus' dirty and unclean feet. There was nothing more lowly in Israel than to be the one that had to bend down and loose the sandals for the Lord of the house. You see, because remember, why are feet dirty? You're walking on the ground, and what's getting on your feet? Dust. What does the scripture say dust is? 
It's curse, right? It's the curse of sin. So the curse of sin is getting on the feet. And so he says, I'm not even, I'm not even good enough to loose the sandal on his, on the, that's got all the dirty curse of feet. I can't even do that. I'm not worthy enough for that. I'm so low. I'm so small. Don't look to me. Our witness, yours and mine, should be as John's witness was, pointing away from ourselves and instead pointing to Christ. Instead of living so that others glorify God for our good works, we often craft our own testimony in such a way that it becomes a story about us instead of a story about Christ. Instead of how Christ alone delivered us and has made us new so that all the good that we do shouldn't be about us but because of God's saving grace. We should be just like John and confess that we did not save ourselves. But it was Christ and Christ alone who delivered us from our sins and He alone is responsible for our good works. This means for all the children you have, for the good things you do in your job, for all the things that you do, that you say, and that people come to you and they say things to you. Are you pointing to Christ? Are you saying this is because of the work of Christ, His saving grace? How do we point to Christ in our daily lives, I think sometimes can be the question. Our epistle reading from today provides insight. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 goes on to say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In good and in hardship, rejoice, because Jesus is king and he is Lord over all things and we should rejoice in our words with song and with our heart attitude now it's a lot of, sometimes we can do things that are outward pointing but we don't come in and, and actually say in our heart I'm rejoicing in God we should pray throughout our day remembering to thank God for all the things that he brings to us and we need to bring our petitions before him and then give thanks in everything we are to live a joyful life in gratitude how can we not Jesus created all things including us Jesus came in time and delivered us from sin and he rules all things Jesus is coming at the end of all time and will deliver his kingdom victoriously to his Father, that the knowledge of the glory of God will in fact cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Jesus is bringing the salvation by all things that are happening in the world today, including your hardships and your difficulty. It's his providence at work in your life Believe the word. Show yourself 
to be a servant of God by doing what? Rejoicing in both the good and the hard providences. Pray. Bring your petitions to him. And say, let your will be done. Give thanks. Because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for all of us. Again, I say to you, believe the word. Show yourself to be a servant of God and point to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe your word. Help us to faithfully to do all the things <clears throat> that you have spoken to us and exhorted us to do. Forgive us for our ingratitude. Forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our discontent. Forgive us for giving up in despair. Forgive us for complaining against you and your providence. Help us to trust you and give thanks day by day, knowing that the work that Jesus has accomplished will bring about all your purposes for our good and your glory. Help us to give thanks and praise to you every day. And we ask all these things for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.